When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today's topic is role of Middle East in global business and economy. We discussed about BRICS, TIMP, Mint, N11, and frontier markets in earlier episodes. Is Middle East the new global growth story? We hear a lot about Brexit and trade war between the two economic giants. We do listen about shifting economic center of gravity and geopolitical upheavals. Many of the world's economies are struggling. The global economic system, which is currently impacted by overconsumption in the West, tariffs, and other unfair globalization issues, coupled with under-regulation of some large financial institutions. It definitely has a room for improvement. Who can take a position to help the system as well as gain a prominent position in global economy? Middle East could be the one. The region has rare combination of its enormous oil and gas reserves large and scalable labor force availability along with the large sovereign wealth funds in some of the countries. Should the Middle East consider something like a master economic plan like what Singapore did and facilitate private sector growth to maintain a balance between consumption and production and make it attractive for the entrepreneurial individuals and attract and grow investment. The prosperous Middle East governments definitely have an opportunity to play major roles within the World Bank and IMF for the ongoing reform efforts. Today, our guest is Anita Yadav. Anita is a seasoned banker she is the CEO of Century Financial, prior to which she was Head of Fixed Income Research at Emirates NBD. Anita served as Managing Director, Head of Global Markets at Nomura in India and as Head of Credit Sales at ANZ in Singapore. She has 25 years of experience in financial markets spread across Australia, India, Asia, and Middle East. She's a frequent commentator on global market issues. Her articles and TV interviews have regularly appeared in global media platforms such as Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Reuters, Gulf News, 
CNBC, Dubai Eye, etc. Anita is also the current vice chairman of the Gulf Board and Sukuk Association Board and is also on the board of Australian Business Council in Dubai. An alumnus of Oxford University, Anita also holds BSc, MBA and certification in advanced management and leadership from universities in India and in Australia. Welcome Anita. Thank you Mahesh, glad to be here. Well Anita, we are talking about Middle East today. So what do you see as the role of Middle East in uh, global arena? So Mahesh, you might have heard about Aramco, right? Sure, everybody has heard. <laughs> <laughs> the world's largest company, valuation of roughly $2 trillion. It dwarfs your Apple, Google, GE by far and listed on Tadawur, which is the Saudi Stock Exchange. So that tells you something, right? The world's largest company listed on Tadawur, which makes it one of the largest stock exchanges. You look at the sovereign wealth funds around the world, about total of you know seven and a half, eight trillion dollars worth, of which two point eight trillion comes from GCC. Right? Uh, it, it tells you how rich this part of the world is. Now, humanity follows innovation, and innovation needs capital. Sure. Yeah. So. Middle East is now at a position that you, you can't ignore it anymore. In, in fact, you've seen recently in terms of the indices, uh, MSI has included it, Russell has included it, the, even the bond indices have uh, begun to include the bonds from this part of the world. And despite the fact that Middle East, as a GCC particularly total, a GDP of about 1.7 trillion, which is, uh, say, the global GDP is around 85 trillion or so of that 1.7 trillion from here. But in terms of its GCC's contribution to the indices in equity and the bond market is somewhere between 11 to 15 percent. So it punches way above its its, its weight and. Uh, uh, I'm actually quite bullish on Middle East and the direction that it's taking and the role that it's going to play in the world. And if you see 1.7 trillion GDP, 2.8 trillion in the funds they have. In the sovereign wealth mm -hmm. fund. And this is, this is, by the way, the declared sovereign wealth funds. Let's not underestimate the value of, say, for example, in UK, you would have... A, uh, Heathrow Airport is privatized, their utilities are privatized, their toll roads are privatized, everything is sold to the public, whereas in this part of the world, mostly, if not all, assets are actually in the hands of the government. Mm -hmm. How much is an Emirates airline worth? How much is, is uh, Dubai Airport worth? How much is Mecca Medina, which is the major religious tourist destinations or Riyadh Airport worth? If you add all of that in terms of monetize, monetize them and add them as a worth to the government, you, you can imagine how rich the region is, how rich these governments are. 
So definitely there is an opportunity for the whole region to contribute. And as you rightly said, punching above the weight. And also if you look at in Middle East and North Africa itself, there are four trillion worth of projects which are planned or under construction as of now, which is a huge investment. And uh, in so, the, sorry. Yeah, that, that, that 4 trillion, I think you are using the wider area of yes, Mina and some North, part North of Africa. North Africa. And, Correct. Yeah, yeah. If I purely look at GCC alone, mm-hmm. there is no doubt that we need more hospitals, we need more toll roads, we need more education institutions and all. And the governments are focused on spending on that. So the last number that I remember done by one of the big four was more like 1.9 uh, trillion worth of projects to be completed in the next 15 to 20 years here. Part of it is obviously, you know, China's ambition about one belt, one road, looking at how geographically Middle East, particularly GCC, is situated. And if China wants to use it as a gateway to Africa, they would also would want to invest in, in those projects. Plus the fact that the region wants to uh, reduce its reliance on oil and maybe develop other industries, manufacturing or mining, or maybe get more food security and invest in those kind of projects as well. So there, there is a huge amount of investment opportunity here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And see, beyond investment, if you see the demographics also, almost uh, more than one-third of the people are under 25 years of age. And uh, if you see the the population growth itself, it's doubled in the last 20 years. And uh, as you rightly said, the assets which they have, uh, in Dubai itself, 30% of contribution of the GDP is coming from the airport. And probably it's the largest uh, uh, passenger traffic because of the critical location also. One is the yeah. development. Yeah. But if you see how you're connecting Asia with Europe, with with US, it could be a very good transit point, not only for passengers, it could be for business. It could be a very good transit point connecting all the all the geographies. And when talking of population, uh, 85% of the population or so is already living in highly urbanized area. No, you're very right. Let's say, for example, if you look at Saudi, 80% of Saudi population lives in six cities. Mm -hmm. Part of it is obviously the climate, right? The the climate is, is harsh in some parts of the country. So obviously, they are more clustered around water bodies and uh, uh, more convenient kind of locations, I think. Um, But in terms of the demographics, Mahesh, a little bit of it can be seen as structured and I wouldn't use the word manufactured, but structured because a lot of the population growth is because of migrants. Mm -hmm. The government um, invites and welcomes a lot of expats in blue-collar and white-collar jobs for uh, for working and growing the, for all these projects that they're undertaking, whether it's in the mining sector or it's in the oil sector. You need the manpower, and that manpower comes from the uh, parts of you know subcontinent, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Europe, very mm. well. so, so part of the population growth is actually expat-led, 
mm-hmm. and uh, that's what keeps the demographics also a little bit young because as people finish jobs and retire and they, they go back home to their own, own, own countries yeah so um and what was your other point i forget yeah but if it uh, one was urbanization other was the population mm-hmm. but that there is a positive about the way they are managing the expat population because they can always um uh, get the best of the talent or the skill set what they need they can be uh, getting what they exactly need for that moment of time definitely definitely but the governments are also recognizing the fact that this reliance on international talent cannot continue forever because they have their own population as well to develop and which is why you will see that here right now all six gcc countries are putting um quite a bit of focus on developing their own human capital practically every well known university in let's say uk or the us is being uh, requested or chased or lobbied for opening a campus here we have in dubai alone you have american university you have wollongong uh, university from australia you have campuses of cambridge and so quite a few universities are being opened here government is making special grants for their local population to for higher education and ed- educating people and developing their own human capital as, as well so that's that's a good awareness that using uh, the expats for skill sets which are not available use it to get things done and contribute to the growth at the same time develop the skill set which takes some time so over a period of time you can develop to create the future requirements to be met particularly the skill set of the future generation mm-hmm. mind you they are not necessarily teaching them you know how to do plumbing you know they are basically teaching them the the fintech and the astrophysics and you know recently uae sent its people in 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 the space so there is quite a bit of focus on future technology and the and, and the fintech and ai and developing that side of the skill set in, in the economy here i think that's that's a good positive that uh, there is a thought process uh, which is already building up and actions are being taken beyond uh, the heavy reliance on natural resources which predominantly was oil and gas um we will continue that discussion after a short break your favorite voice america talk radio network shows and hosts are in your car outdoors and wherever you need them to be listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market 
For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are in discussion with our guest, Anita on the role of Middle East in the global economy. So Anita, in last section, we were talking about uh, Middle East. Question is, what beyond oil and gas? Everybody knows about uh, oil and gas, the natural resources available in Middle East. So Mahesh, the governments here have recognized the fact that oil prices are not going to be seeing the three-digit number anytime soon, right? The world's reliance on oil is decreasing with all the renewable energy resources coming on board. So there is a lot of focus in developing the economy away from oil and where an investor can actually look at working along with the government because it's always a lot easier if you are going with the tide in which the government is going. Is Tourism is one thing. It's very well placed. There's more sun, more sand, more sea compared to the rest of the Europe and everywhere. It's, it's very, very safe. Safety is ensured. So I think tourism is doing very well. So investing in, in, in tourism. Then Mining, actually. It's a, it's an underappreciated, underknown fact that mm-hmm. in this part of the world, you can actually, the silica, the uranium, a whole lot of building material related stuff, which is under the ground, which the government never really focused before, is now, you know, they're looking at extracting that and using using that. So mining can be looked at. Food security, now in this part of the world the weather is such that you know food crop growing doesn't happen very, the productivity is not very high which means the governments are investing a lot of effort in either getting into some kind of arrangements in Africa or nearby countries for getting food security or even even putting efforts in aerating and 
greenhouse and all here locally in their own region. So anything to do with food security, including the fisheries and the seafood and things like that, that business is, is doing reasonably well. Education is a huge focus because the government wants to develop its own capital base. So anything to do with education will do very well. When I say tourism, it's not just for leisure tourism. There are two different types of tourisms which are also picking up pace where there may be opportunities. One is the religious tourism, which is Mecca and Medina, the holy sites are here, but also medical tourism. It's a, a Labor in this part of the world is reasonably cheap and uh, uh, people do come here for treatments, particularly if they are cosmetic treatments and things like that. So that's picking up pay pace as well. And obviously it goes without saying, given its geographic location, logistics, you know, where goods are coming from China, they're getting booked here and then they get shipped to Africa or, or Europe or wherever. Logistic businesses also tend to do reasonably well. So there are quite a few little little pockets where uh, I see quite a lot of opportunities. So basically, uh, over a period of time, one can see that Middle East, with their focus uh, moving beyond oil and gas, uh, there will be more, quite a bit of impact. One is I'll bifurcate into two: another set of natural resources, which is mining. Yeah. going beyond oil and gas. Second is towards the social development, also education, then getting food security. And also, if you if you look at the current data, the startup culture is also picking up. The technology side is also taking shape. Uh, some data came across that in UAE itself, in first nine months, the investment in startups was uh, substantial growth, almost 30% in first nine months, uh, higher than the last year, which is a good sign. Absolutely, absolutely. As I was saying, humanity follows innovation. And the leadership in this part of the world, particularly in Dubai, do realize that. If you think about you know, Dubai was a village of 800 people just about 50 years ago, right? And they, Dubai doesn't have the oil wealth. They basically grew simply by innovating and thinking ahead of time. And it's the same philosophy that is even being followed now. The government has set up funds that support the startups. The government has introduced incentives where the, you know, if the banks were to lend to startups, then there is some kind of government backing there. There are specific tax-free zones uh, where these can start and the fintech hub and hives that, that you might have heard, they, they exist as well. Um, there are grants. So anything, really anything that you would expect from a government to promote startup is all happening here. So that's all good news. So basically, gradually, uh, you will see that the, the contribution of oil and gas to GDP, it may grow in the value, absolute value, but the percentage gain in the other industries will also increase. And there's a lot of focus on solar also, which is, which is again a big positive because if you see the mega trends globally being followed, one of them is climate. So Mahesh, you know what, I'm actually quite bullish on the Middle East, but if there was one little thing that tugs at my heart is basically the 
While we've been talking about reducing reliance on oil and gas and growing economy away from oil and gas, the pace, uh, I, I think pace could have been much better. If I look at it even today, after 10-15 years of efforts, nearly, you know, somewhere between 60 to 90% of the government revenue comes from oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talk a lot about it, but I think the pace at which the reform should happen or the pace at which the government should promote non-oil sectors probably can afford to increase a bit more. But how do you do that? The, how, if a, a lot of the corporates here are owned by the governments, right? Large, large corporates are all owned by the governments. If the governments were to privatize those assets and make them in public hands, or they were to promote small and medium independent enterprises, and those were to grow, that would be the way to actually diversify away from oil. It's like Aramco did by getting IPO. I think some part, a small equity of the company has gone to public. Absolutely. So it's a good signal. Absolutely. It's a good start. It's a a good signal. And that's why I personally think the governments need to privatize government assets and leave them in private hands so that the private sector becomes more empowered and can contribute more to the economy mm-hmm. uh, and reduce the reliance on oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So so basically that brings to a very good point. Well, in private sector, there could be public-private partnerships, there could be a private sector, but in private sector also, the core could be the family businesses. Now, yeah, you're right, family businesses. But again, if I look at the demographics, say for example, mm-hmm. UAE, right? 80% of the UAE population is expats. Expats, yes. Expats. Yeah. So the family businesses, when we talk about, it's still the 20%, a whole lot of them are related to the royal families themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? The true, absolute, independent corporate sector is the one that needs to develop. Correct. But there is there is one very good trend which is emerging that in family business, uh, basically, as you rightly said, that's the core uh, uh, of the private sector economy in Middle East. Uh, there was a survey which was done um, earlier this year on the composition of the outlook of firms in Middle East and how they compare to the peers in the rest of the world. So it, it was realized that they're more prone to change. They're more prone to go beyond the obvious where family business may not go. Like 72% of them were spanning in multiple countries and 59 were in uh, uh, multiple sectors, which is a big number for a, for a family business. Normally they try to remain with what they're doing. And also they're very forward looking. Uh, and, and not only in the business and planning also, uh, because 84% of them plan to bring expertise from outside the family mm-hmm. uh, to boost the management. So which is acknowledging that, listen, if I need the expertise, I can go to somebody else. Yeah. So that can give impetus on the growth. Otherwise, you think you know everything. I want to keep in the family, which is not the case uh, in Middle East because 84% want to get expertise from outside as compared to 53% globally, which is almost 31% higher, which shows 
that the openness to get things done and also globally the family businesses are open almost one fourth of them are open for M&A Middle East number was 34 so they are willing to combine with other companies buy sell or get the technologies with them and also the, the last part of it which is pretty impressive that globally 20% want the family business are willing to change the business model that number in Middle East was 34% so this willingness to adapt definitely makes you change quickly faster you adapt to new technologies you do the you get to the new ways of doing business and that creates uh, a, a kind of an economic power in a country and add to that that we are comparing what Middle East has achieved in 30 years mm-hmm. what the rest of the world let's say Europe or US or UK has mm-hmm. achieved in 300 years Let's not forget the history, the, the, the European and UK histories and they started all this three, four hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Middle East, the UAE unification only happened in 1971, right? In 50 years, if you look at the pace at which the Middle East has grown and changed and transformed itself and where we are competing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with others in 50 years, it's super impressive in my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to criticize and compare it with the, with the developed world. But let's not forget, the developed world started 300 years ago. Yeah, yeah they had a head start. Yeah. So, uh, we will continue our discussion after a short break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. 
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, and we are in discussion with Danita on the role of Middle East in, in global markets, global economy, and global business. So, Anita, we talked about uh, oil and gas, uh, reliance on that, a uh, few industries beyond that, few of the social uh, uh, good things happening in the environment here. Uh, how about we talk now about the capital markets, because for any economy to grow, we need a robust capital markets, banking system, funding mechanism in the country, by the fellow countrymen or attracting the foreign investment? So Mahesh, you know, the whole concept of financial markets. Financial market exists because somebody needs money and somebody had the money to pay pay them, right? That's the, that's the whole concept of markets existing. In this part of the world, the governments were so rich, they didn't need the money. The government-owned entities were funded by the governments. They also didn't need the money. So if there was no real need for money, how would you develop capital markets? Yeah, That was the case 15, 20 years ago, which is why Middle East did not necessarily fare very high on capital markets talks about two decades ago. Now the situation has changed for two reasons. One is obviously with oil prices coming where they are, the governments and the corporates have realized that they will need alternate source of money because the mm-hmm. oil revenues are, are not necessarily pouring in at the, at the level they were pouring in before. But it's also the fact that if oil stops becoming the main source of revenue, then the currency pegs that these governments have with US dollar, I mean oil was priced in dollar, right? So it made sense to have the currency pegged to the dollar. But if oil prices are going to be fluctuating, then those pegs at some stage might need to be looked at. If you re-look at your pegging of the currency, then you need control of your currency, control of your monetary policy. And how do you do that? If you want control of your monetary policy, how will you transmit it down to the market if you did not have deep capital markets? So the governments have also realized that not only do we need money and matching of the money, but also we need the capital markets in order to prepare ourselves 20 years, 30 years down the line to take control of our currency. So there is a push from the government side to grow the capital market and there is a basic necessity as well from the borrowers of the money, either in the form of equity or in the form of of debt from from the companies itself. So what has happened in the last five, six years that I have been here in Dubai, markets have more than doubled. Equity market, I would say, are still uh, not growing as fast. Uh, there are issues, but 
the debt market definitely has more than doubled from roughly 150 billion dollars US dollar worth of market size in 2013 we are currently talking more than 500 billion I'm talking dollar plus mm -hmm. the local currency size you can see the tremendous growth that we have seen in the debt capital market on the equity side Tadawul, as we were talking about earlier, Aramco, the largest company listed in Tadawul. Tadawul is now one of the largest stock exchanges in the world. Here in UAE, you have DFM and uh, Abu Dhabi, reasonably developed. Uh, the only thing about, a little bit about the stock exchanges here is, they tend to have dominance of banks and real estates. Part is, part of the reason is obviously because the independent corporate sector still needs needs to develop. Yeah, but with the inclusion of these equity and debt indices in the global indices of Russell's and MSCI and JP Morgan's MBIG and all, the international money is pouring in. Uh, the stock exchanges as well as the bond market is all getting disproportionately high attention from the international investors. The returns have been good, at least in the, in the bond space. This year we made more than 14%. Equity space, equity markets do tend to sometimes get victimized because of the movement in the, in the oil prices. But as the economic reliance on oil moves away, I think their performance will also become a little bit independent of oil prices. So overall, depth of the market, uh, we are no longer frontier, we are mm -hmm. now mostly the emerging market in indices. So, and that growth you've seen in the last four or five years, that pace is very pleasing. Yeah, that's very true because uh, most of the countries from GGC were being in the frontier markets. So that's one upgradation coming to the emerging market. But it is phenomenal after Ramco IPO, the way the whole market has shaped up, that shows the power of natural resources impacting the capital market also once you yeah. monetize it uh, through the stock market. So beyond the, uh, the stock market and capital markets, people are looking to invest in the industry also. There is there's always a trend now uh, building up for investment, do you feel so? You know, beyond the traditional publicly traded equity market and bond market, uh, I'm assuming you're alluding to private equity or venture right. capital and those 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 ones. Yeah, um, I think there was a little bit of hit that the market took with the Abraj default uh, last last year. So mm -hmm. there's a little bit of bad taste. Then there was one small default by Dana Gas last year. And these kind of things tend to dampen investor interest, at least for the short period, but the investor's memory tends to be short. Right? So I'm assuming, again, uh, by 2020, that space will pick up pace, particularly with fintech picking up pace and how a lot of startups have made up money. The international money wanting to come here in the form of PE and investing in these startups, I think it's going to be picking up pace, particularly because the government itself is promoting it. You look at how much money, marketing money, 
ADGM, which is the Abu Dhabi Global Markets Spending, or DIFC and DFSA are spending in terms of marketing themselves internationally and doing road shows. And I think the benefit of that should come home very soon. Mm-hmm. Particularly with the Expo 2020 coming in, that will also give a lot more visibility. Mm-hmm. So, uh, basically, beyond the oil and gas, the capital markets are looking good. Mm-hmm. And then there is a trend, if you look at most of the uh, countries in GCC, that they are also focusing on being technologically savvy. So they're taking a quantum leap, as you earlier mentioned, about some countries took three decades to grow, and we have done in uh, three, uh, 30 decades to grow, and we have done in three. And maybe uh, that's also reflecting in the mindset in the region from the governments to become technologically savvy and take that quantum leap. So that may, that also, that not only may, also opens up new avenues for revenue. It does, it does. And see, one of the good things about being new, younger countries or younger region is that you don't have old legacy systems or legacy problems to solve before adopting newer changes. So when you start from a clean slate, it's a lot easier to adopt the newer stuff, and which is what we are witnessing here. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, those technological ventures... Uh, techno- uh, those, especially in the high technology side, IT, they may uh, get some uh, participation from other uh, economies also, mostly developed world. But how about uh, the capability or willingness in the region to invest in the rest of the world? As we saw, uh, you talked about the Ramco, the largest company, and many others also. They're already trying to invest in downstream products, especially for oil and gas in uh, fast-growing economies like India, China, and many other countries. Yeah. So, you know the 2.8 trillion sovereign wealth fund money that I talked about earlier? Initially, 10-15 years ago, the focus was to invest that money outside the region because it was to make sure that that money gets invested in anything non-oil related Mm -hmm. so that if there was some problem with the oil side of it, at least the return on those investments can be brought home and uh, it will be sustainable cash flow income coming in. Even today, that 2.8 trillion bulk of it remains invested outside. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also... Partly because oil in itself, here when we take the oil out of the ground, it's not necessarily processed much here. A lot of it will go to petrochemical companies like Reliance or quite a few in China. And the GCC money gets invested in those downstream operations operations there. A lot of money also gets invested in the likes of U.S. Treasury T-bills to make sure there is liquid money money there. I personally am an advocate that if the government were to choose to bring even part of that money back home to invest here, it will be very good for the Middle East economies. Oh, that's uh, that's a very good analysis of the investments. Yeah. So, uh, we will continue our discussion after a short break. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Every day in business, we hear jargon, see writing from so-called experts, and don't know what we should follow and what we should avoid. Now, there's a program to sort everything out. The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman is the program that provides actual best practices, insights, and real-world solutions that help business executives, technology executives, managers, and staff using straightforward talk. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with uh, Mahesh Joshi. And uh, we are in discussion with uh, Anita on uh, the role of Middle East in the global economy, market, business, all of it put together. So, Anita, how do you see uh, the future of Middle East? So, Mahesh, looking ahead, I'm actually quite excited about 2020. And there are quite a few positive pillars supporting that optimism. Um, one is, as you might have heard about Expo 2020, the Dubai government is expecting 23 million visitors and roughly 1% addition to GDP growth here on the back of that. It obviously will bring the you know international investors to see exactly what Middle East is all about and clear some perceptions and open doors for some opportunities. We're also seeing... Saudi taking a very active role in uh, inviting international investors, offering transparency about what's happening in the region, showcasing investment opportunities. We have FIFA World Cup coming up in Qatar. We have Oman, which is taking uh, you know quite concrete steps in terms of privatizing some of its assets. We have Kuwait, which is playing a mediator role in any kind of regional little bit of conflicts here and there. So all uh, stars seems to be aligned for a very positive 2020 in the Middle East. 
obviously the big mega thing that can affect all this is the trade wars and what Trump tweet does or what happens with Brexit and, and China and US trade wars and things like that. Those things obviously are negative overhang, assuming that they don't resolve favorably. And that negative overhang can impact global economic growth and in turn can impact the price of oil. But to some extent, I expect that impact to be balanced off by the fact that central banks around the world are becoming a little bit more accommodative and easing monetary policy. And if U.S. also does that, which it is doing, then by the nature of the pegged currency, interest rates in the Middle East will also fall, and that will be positive for the corporate earnings. Also, if the currency softens a little bit, uh, if U.S. currency softens and then the Middle East currency being pegged softens, that will attract extra investments from its trading partners like likes of India or Pakistan or Russia. It will bring probably more tourism, will probably bring more investment into real estate and things like that. So overall, I'm reasonably confident and positive that the economic growth in the region is uh, is going to pick up in 2020. No, it's very well said because these three events which you're talking about, <clears throat> FIFA itself, uh, it, it boosts the economy because there will be much more tourism uh, impetus with that, people coming in to watch and it's over a period of time. And as it is, the tourism is, is growing in the region. And uh, second, the uh, Expo 2020, definitely it opens up the global culture and it showcases the technology and Middle East is focusing, as we talked earlier, beyond oil and gas and getting into technology, uh, very evident by what's happening here. Third one you said is the G20. Yes, and that's the leading forum for global economy, economy policy. That's for the first time it is coming to Middle East. So that shows the importance of the region as well as an opportunity for the region to showcase themselves. And um, as the G20 countries, they almost uh, have 90% of the world's GDP. So they are probably the best investors, a user of resources because uh, they have almost uh, the two-thirds of global population also. So G20, Saudi actually makes it part of the G20, right? Saudi, Saudi economy. And in, in the region, Saudi is roughly half of the entire region's uh, GDP. If you look at 1.7 trillion GDP that we talked about in GCC, roughly 800 billion of that actually comes from Saudi. Yeah. So Saudi not only is with its budget deficits where it is, it's, it's not only a big capital base as it has lots of capital tied up in its sovereign fund, in its assets and things like that, but it's also a consumer of capital to fund its budget deficits. Mm -hmm. So it's on both sides, it's heavy on both sides. And then the fact that there is so much of a political willingness at the moment for them to open up their economy and bring the international investors and, and showcase and open transparency and things like that is actually quite positive for the whole region as such. The G20, uh, which is scheduled in, in February 20, 
21st-22nd will be quite a bit of milestone. We saw the huge success of the FII, the Future Investment Initiative that happened in November, which was so well oversubscribed and world-leading officials were there. I think these little, little things places Middle East very firmly on the world map and on the global economic scenario. Oh, that's wonderful. So basically, just to summarize our discussions today, a uh, lot of political willingness mm-hmm. to grow, to move to the future, uh, develop technology, create transparency, and uh, uh, not only growing in the value chain of oil and gas, moving beyond that into other sectors, bringing a new technology into play, and uh, unexplored mining sector, an opportunity, Tourism already growing, uh, FIFA will add to that. Uh, working on food security, there's a lot of impetus in education, a lot of good universities across the world having presence somewhere or other in uh, in Middle East. Uh, financial markets doing very well, a lot of certain, certain funds, wealth available, almost $2.8 trillion. And also, uh, well, we had the largest IPO with Aramco, almost... Uh, the small amount gave the total valuation of what $2 trillion or so for the whole company. And also going beyond that, the geographical location, which provides it a unique opportunity to become the global logistic hub. It is already for uh, the passengers. uh, It's It's a gateway to Africa. Yes. You know, the, the Dubai is today the largest uh, airport for international transit passengers, right? But it's also playing a role in China's One Belt, One Road initiative in becoming a gateway to gateway to Africa. And I think the other two points to mention is the focus of the governments here in terms of the innovation and the fintech and the newer technologies, but also balancing it with social reforms. You know, which is which is quite positive and and creating a kind of optimism in the general population. Wonderful. So, Anita, thank you so much. Uh, with this, uh, we will uh, close the today's program. Uh, really appreciate your insights into what is happening in the Middle East. In summary, looks like a lot of good things to happen with three major events uh, slated in. Uh, almost less than 12 months now, from now till end of next year. So a lot of excitement, a lot of tourism, a lot of business growth. Hope the geopolitics uh, plays in its favor. And we see uh, Middle East, which has an opportunity to not only grow, come to the table at the international level, which they normally impact. They are there with their oil and gas resources, but now they will have more capability with the resources beyond oil and gas. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Mahesh. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.